0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are in Parshat, Pekuday, Vayakel, and Pekuday this morning. We read them together. So we have some Shabbatot on which we read a double portion. Why do we need double portions? Why do we have them? Because we don't have a leap month put into this year. So when we have a leap month inserted into the calendar, we need four parshiot. We need four Torah portions, one for each of those Shabbatot. So uh, since we're not in a leap month year situation, uh, we double. So then you have four extra parshiot. So you have to double. So they... They, two of them go on one Shabbat. That This is one of those Shabbatot. We have Vayakel and Pekudei as our uh, double Parsha. And it is the end of the book of Exodus. So this is the end. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, double credit. You get double points today. Um, we are coming to the end of the book of Exodus. So we get the book of Leviticus inserted. Remember, we have Genesis, Exodus, the priestly manual is inserted, and then the narrative will continue with the book of Numbers. So we're ending our narrative at Exodus and about to begin next week, Vaikra, the book of Leviticus. We're going to look at, because we read uh, here, I read on a triennial cycle, we're going to look at the second year reading, which means the second hunk <laughs> Of, if you were to divide these two parshiot into three chunks we're looking at the middle chunk because we're in the second year of a triennial reading and that way we get to every part of the text by the end of three years so we're going to start at 3717 we got the instructions to build the Mishkan earlier in the book of Shemot in the book of Exodus and now we are um, coming to the construction of the Mishkan what is the Mishkan? The mishkan is what?
2: Portable
1: there you go. Portable. So mishkan, because I want us to keep this in mind that this is really what's going on this week is the building of the mishkan, the making of the mishkan, and its aperturances. <laughs> it's a, just just saying. a few times. They, they, you have to, like, go to Ph.D. or rabbinical school to study Bible to get that word, a paternity. All right, so we'll begin reading at 3717.
2: He made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand, its base and its shaft, of hammered work. Its cups, calyxes, and petals were of one piece with it. Six branches issued from its sides, three branches from one side of the lampstand and three branches from the other side of the lampstand. There were three cups (laughs) shaped like almond blossoms, each with calyx and petals on one branch. And there were three cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with calyx and petals on the next branch. So for all six branches issuing from the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, there were four cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with calyx and petals. A calyx of one piece with it under a pair of branches and a calyx of one piece with it under a second pair of branches and a calyx one piece with it under the last pair of branches. So for all six branches issuing from it, their calyxes and their stems were of one piece with it, the whole of it a single hammered piece of pure gold. He made its seven lamps, its tongs and its firepans of pure gold. He made it and all its furnishings out of a talent of pure gold. He made the incense altar of acacia wood, a cubit long and a cubit wide, square and two cubits high. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top, its sides round about, and its horns. And he made a gold molding for it round about. He made two gold rings for it under its molding on its two walls on opposite sides as holders for the poles with which to carry it. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He prepared the sacred anointing oil and the pure aromatic, aromatic incense expertly
1: blended. Okay, I know the Mishkan. Who knew the Mishkan was so popular? We have everyone turning out for the reading of the instructions that were followed. Right. Um,
2: are the instructions laid out separately? So, yeah, we Is have this the... a repetition just saying whatever the instructions were, he's doing
1: it? Yes. So now we're getting the doing of all the instructions that we got before. So we, we made it through all the instructions only to come to the part of the Torah where, and they did. And here we go with all of the uh, instructions. So clearly a lot of focus on detail on building the Mishkan, on building the tabernacle. A lot of care to preserve Every single detail of the construction, and of what went into it, and how it was done, and what it looked like, and how they fit together, and what the technology was. Right. So they're they're very focused um, in preserving the details of this. The ancient Israelites. Um, and why? Why are they so interested? In all that? Why are we so interested? So what? Are, what are two explanations? Um, one is that it's to convince us that this was real. That this was an actual thing, we have every detail about how it was constructed. Because very possibly, there never was such a thing. Um, Another is that it actually was a thing. Uh, There's one theory that it was a thing, and it came to Israel with the conquering of the land of Israel, according to the right story and Joshua. That it came and it was in Israel, and um, and it had its own place up north, and then it was brought down. Um, when Jerusalem became the center of cultic activity. Uh, and so that if it was a real thing, then it's them really remembering with great love this shrine that was their connection to the divine right in a time where there was a lot of chaos and not necessarily any clarity about you know, what the cult would be going forward and what Israel might be. Because remember, Israel was started as a loose confederation of tribes right? It was 12 tribes. They were a loose confederation. When there was a national emergency, a judge would be chosen to be both the military leader and the uh, de facto um, judge judge, uh, and the leader of the people. So before Israel becomes the nation state that we imagine when we look at ancient Israel uh, it is this loose confederation of tribes and so there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of different relationships and a lot of different tensions between all of those groups and maybe too because of the (laughs) great um, trouble and the movement and the looseness of the confederation just in case something more should happen because it had been happening for so long they have directions should they need to do it again Interesting. So what if we what if we're not in the land and have to be dealing with the Mishkan again? God forbid. Right. Right. Um, and what's mm-hmm. interesting is, of course, it did happen. Yeah. Right. How long did Israel last as a nation? How long?
2: 70 years.
1: <laughs> Seventy-five. 70 years. Yeah, so, uh, a little less than hundred years. That's it. Not much. So they did need. They did get dispersed. Right after this, they were dispersed after the writing of Torah after the writing of these sacred scriptures remembering their time of dispersion dispersal um, they, they, it happens again but what, what's interesting is they don't turn to a mishkan right when they are dispersed when the north is destroyed they are carried off and there is no recoalescing to build another mishkan and have that be the way they related to God when they're no longer in the land of Israel they were gone and when the South is destroyed, the temple is destroyed. So this whole mode of right, having these be the central rituals, the entire ancient Israelite cult is obliterated. There is no return to the Mishkan. Now look, they could have. In Babylonia, they could have said, Okay, you know what? We have some instructions, right, for something. Right? We can get a parking lot somewhere in Persia and we can set this up, right? And we can have our portable Mishkan. We don't need the temple but clearly within the Israelite imagination it was too late so the other thing that was happening was Judaism but there was no Judaism Israelite religion was already being reconstructed by whom? the rabbis in Babylonia the early proto-rabbis, right, um, are are already developing a relationship to these texts and to the divine and to ritual that is post-sacrifice, post-lighting the menorah.
3: I was just wondering, it's sort of odd that the the whole portion begins with observing the Shabbat, and like, how does that relate? And as you're talking about the the, uh, giving up of the Mishkan, uh, building, maybe the Shabbat would be a more permanent activity. Nice. Yeah. Nice.
1: Um, so Shabbat begins this portion. The portion that begins the doing of the Mishkan starts with, and you will not do any work. You will not do any tinkering or tampering or doing any kind of messing with the world as it is, you will take one day to appreciate the world as it is. My words, not the Torah's words, mm-hmm. right? So um, my, my interpretation. But So it's very interesting that this whole business of busy, 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 make, 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 make busy, busy, make, make, um, starts with don't do anything, mm-hmm. right? And when you look traditionally at melakha, what is melakha? What defines work? Creating. So? Mm-hmm. The rabbis are more clever than that. So, sure. so right? So what what makes the categories of things you're not allowed to do on Shabbat? The rabbis say, Well, we know it must have something to do with where the commandment of Shabbat is put. And where's the commandment of Shabbat put? The Ten Commandments. Right before I'm getting too excited. Right before the Milaha right before the work of the tabernacle. Therefore, anything that would have been done as part of the melacha, of making the mishkan, that is what is forbidden on Shabbat. So when you start talking about tearing toilet paper, oh my God, that's so silly. Okay, but for the rabbis, they have to look at every single one of the categories of work done as part of the mishkan. And if it's there, it's defined as melacha. And on Shabbat, we're not allowed to do any melacha. So that must mean there's a direct correlation. Did they come with 30, Is
2: it thirty-nine? Forty-one or
1: forty-one, something like that. Things you can't do. Categories of Categories. things you can't do. So act, actions, right, or ways of being in the world. Now, what does what does malachah mean before the rabbis? It, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does it mean before the rabbis like what does it mean with if if we're self-referencing only to torah only to biblical texts so it seems to be a refraining from creating cuz god barad god created for 6 days and then shabbat ed, right god shabbat ed, it's a verb it's a positive action god shabbat ed. um and yinafast so right so yinafash what is yinafash the two refreshed things god did on shabbat
3: mm-hmm.
1: so <laughs> refresh that's interesting um, comes from <clears throat> nefesh mm-hmm. what is nefesh soul. Soul. Okay, we say soul because we nefesh. are influenced by the rabbis the self referencing of torah what is nefesh breath, breath is ruach soul. self there's no distinction between spirit and body in the Bible. None. That is rabbinic. That is later. Nefesh is self, oneself. That means body, spirit, energy, all of it. So oneself. So, okay, vayin afash.
2: To reself oneself.
1: So, I, I translate vayin afash to reselfify. <laughs> right? That is the most accurate translation I can come up with. So, if people tell you refresh, it's like Febreze. It's like, no, it's not like refreshing. It's it's reselfifying. What do we do? What action do we take on Shabbat? That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're not just ceasing and desisting. Shabbat is a positive verb. We are shabbatting and Unifashing. So we are actively... Not working, and we are actively reselfifying. That's the point of Shabbat. So then, Shabbat has to be filled with things that accomplish this. <clears throat> right? It's not just don't work, don't drive, don't spend money. That's how we have inherited the rabbinic legacy of no malacha, all the things that are forbidden. But they're forbidden so that you are busy, not with that, but with reselfifying. Pray. Reading, communicating Whatever it is that resulfifies us is what we are supposed to be doing on Shabbat. Of course, the rabbis have a whole <laughs> slew of things that means for them, um, but women are exempt from most of them because uh, women are exempt from all laws having to do with time. Any law having to do with time, women are exempt. Why? Because somebody's got to eat. eat they need to eat. Children <laughs> come first, and taking care, care of, of the kids. everybody eating you know and doing all that stuff and diaper changes and naps that is more important for the rabbis for women to be about than needing to worry about oh I gotta be at shul because I have to get to the morning service
0: or with re-selfifying,
1: <laughs> or re-selfifying right? Oh, right I don't need to do the jacuzzi because I it's nap time uh, so, so Shabbat is about th- doing those things that will help us Become more our own nefesh, uh, and not to do malacha. but I want to tie. So I wanted. What was I going to do? I was going to tie Shabbat to Mishkan. Um, So the idea becomes that that the the pairing of malacha and work and Shabbat is one pairing. This week, that that um, question about malach. Yeah, melacha, work. But doesn't that also mean kings? No. No, no. no is not kings. It's like this and this. Okay. They, yeah, they sound the same, but they are in fact from different, you know, different roots. The etymology is different. Okay, but good listening, good listening, George. <laughs> good. All right. So, Shabbat and Malacha. So, Shabbat, and, and, and I'm going to go, going to go beyond Malacha to say Shabbat and the making of the Mishkan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? So, because the Mishkan really is what? A representation of, well, several things, but, mm-hmm. but what?
2: The Ark. The space for holiness.
1: <laughs> the Mishkan is a replication of the cosmos. Of the world, of the created world, right? What is the menorah in that? We just read about the menorah. What is the menorah in that system?
2: The lights? What light? Sun, moon, stars. Ah,
1: the celestial lights, right? So every element of creation is represented in the Mishkan. So the the relationship between Shabbat and Mishkan, the Shabbat to the tabernacle, is also about the world and then Shabbat. And Shabbat's connected to creation, and Shabbat's about Positive. not creating, right? Right? Sh- right. So there's also a creation. A creation. There's also a relationship between Shabbat and the Mishkan itself. The Mishkan representing the created world uh, and all that's in it, and all that we do as part of it. To say both are necessary, <clears throat> right? So that's another pairing. But I want to look at a pairing from last week, and we started with the Menorah. So I want to look at Mishkan. And calf. Yeah, it sounds like calf. All right, what happened last week? Quickly, for the people who weren't here, what happened last week? They melted down the gold jewelry that they borrowed from the Egyptians <laughs> on their way out of Egypt. And <coughs> Aaron says, I threw it in the fire, and whoa, oh, out came this calf, right? <laughs> But, but we're told earlier in the story, Aaron gets all the gold. The people are flipping out that Moses is, has not come back down the mountain. They are flipping out that their fetish is gone. Their, what represented God to them was missing. And so they need another fetish. They need another symbol on which to place their connection to the divine. So they ask for a God. Give us Aaron a God. And they are like ganging up on Aaron to the point that presumably he is fearing for his safety or what's going to happen next? Um, even if it's not about him, they're they're beginning to riot, uh, and so he takes their gold and he makes an egel masecha, and a uh, calf that is molten. So uh, sh- you take gold and you pound it out super thin and you lay it over something, um, presumably of wood, uh, and a big it was a big one um, of wood, and you lay the gold over it, and that's the egel masecha, the golden calf. All right. So why a connection? Here, y'all were with me last week. What? It's a whole other child thing. It's a whole other child thing last week, right?
2: They're building the Mishkan out of gold,
1: ah, not the calf. So once again, we have gold, right? We have gold that is going to be put in what?
2: Something
1: holy. (laughs) Put in fire. So we have gold and fire in both circumstances. You take the precious and you melt it down. You take something and you put it in the fire, and it becomes now not itself. It's resulfifying. It's <laughs> resulfifying in a whole different way, right? So um, it is no longer what it was. So, but there's two directions that can go. You take something and you melt it down from what it was. It's not what it was anymore. It's now this molten, flowy, hot, liquidy stuff. There is two ways to go with that. One is towards the calf, and one is towards the making of the mishkan. What makes the difference? Attention. Intention. Intention and attention. Because what do we talk about the calf being, really? The calf is, is, is the symbol of when we panic, when we lose it, we go for what's familiar. We go for what's comforting. We go for what we know. We go for thin mints. We go for shopping. We go for wine. We go for television. We go for sex or for sleep. We go to what's familiar without thinking, without paying attention, and without any intention so the difference this process is the same i don't think we can ignore that i don't think we can ignore that the mishkan comes directly after the calf immediately after the calf comes okay take your gold jewelry throw it in a fire again (laughs) right that is not an accident because the message is if you're going to do that right when you get this molten liquid gorgeousness if you pay attention and you have the proper intention then we make a place for the holy to dwell.
2: Also it's the people that make the Mishkan and the calf just popped out.
1: One could argue as Aaron does it just popped out, right? So
2: what
1: so what makes the difference between it being a good thing and a grabby just let me not feel this panic and loneliness and emptiness and doubt is attention and intention, which goes to your question why all the details repeated again and again? Now answer that question. Why are the details repeated all over again? So to separate, to separate, separate intention and attention. It's that. Really it's telling stiff people. We're stiff people for sure. And you can take gold and you can melt thumb, but look what you can do. You can Right, but why Why all the attention to detail? Well, it's
3: After I've said this. It is attention It's hard to, to do the mishkan. It's easy to make a cat. It's short-term, you know, right. gratification to make a cat. But if you're going to make a mishkan, it's a lot more you got to
0: sit down. You, you, you have, have to pay top attention top. to
1: the details.
3: And it's going to be yours because the cop is somebody else's
1: Very nice, Mehmet, very nice. So the calf is not yours, Israel. You're familiar with it, but it ain't yours. It was theirs. Whenever we reach out there, it's never about who we are or who we're becoming, right? It's always about out there. It's theirs. It's never really me, right? And therefore, it's not authentic. But we have a choice when we get that Molten, yummy gorgeousness. We can pay very close attention to the details, and that's a lot harder to do than just grabbing for what's familiar, what we know, what's out there, what they tell me is gonna make me my most authentic self. It's driving a BMW. <laughs> it's being like seven pounds thinner, right? And hair thicker like it used to be. Like All the things that we are told from the outside make me, me, and the best me, right? But it's never, that's not authentic. Yes?
3: It's also an expression devotion. When you think about the details, that's, if you think in terms of crash, this is stamped Tiffany. It's exquisite in its preparation. Lovely. It's an expression of, de- of devotion.
1: Lovely. So, because it's not just any details, and it's not just intention, it's I have to do it. And it takes a lot to do that. And that's why Tiffany lamps are so expensive. That's why they get that seal is because because there's great, great intention of beauty and of why I'm doing this is to make something truly beautiful and that is always about devotion to art, to beauty, right? To making the world a better place if you're doing social justice, whatever it is. The idea is it, it's devotional to spend this much ink, much less the sweat equity Right, that would have gone in the artisans and all of that that would have happened and all the procedures of people bringing stuff and all the following of the detail to the you know ends degree, that is devotion. And for the rabbis, this was a devotional text. Reading the details of the Mishkan was actually devotional because they understood that that's exactly what the original process and set of instructions and reading of the, you know, writing the instructions, preserving the instructions, then walking us through the doing of those instructions, they understood that absolutely as an act of devotion. Mm. And if that... Are we ready and willing to do that? Are we ready and willing to spend the time and the energy and the attention that it takes to not go for Kav, but instead to go for Mishkan? Again, it's the
3: action... And is the core of the stem, that the different the cap requires magic and suspension of belief. To do the mishkan requires engagement. Interesting. Real engagement. And do you find that the same with the Kashmir rules too? Is that part of the motivation? You've got to engage. You know, if this had been reversed, Aaron could have thrown, he could have built a mishkan out of the fire. And it wouldn't have been the same, would it? Nobody was involved. It was just magic. This took the whole society to focus and
1: do. Right. So I think That's that is an a different. good an, an important distinction. Is first of all the calf. You know, we had we had one guy like involved. Whether it was magic and it popped out of the fire or he made right. it. it. Like you said, it's one guy. This is everyone. Everybody. Everybody's involved in the Mishkan and and two kinds of being involved. There's the bringing the half shekel that everyone had to do so that it was democratized. And then there were the gifts that were of Nadiv Lev, uh, who, people who were a voluntary heart. They brought over and above the half shekel. So yes, one is solo, right, work, which we are told, mm-mm, that is not a Jewish thing. Instead, right, the Mishkan is about everyone in the community participating in creating not, it and making it. It's in, not
3: just solo. There is suspension of belief
1: well, it, with the, the chaos. Sort of. But okay. we, we think, no, they, they saw the calf as proof that God was there. God was dancing on the calf. The story of how the
3: calf was created.
1: But that's only Aaron's version. The Torah's version is he melted the gold and made a molten calf. Oh, Aaron says when Moses challenges him, <laughs> why did you do that? Aaron says, well, I threw in the gold and wedge of the calf came out. <laughs> right? Right? That takes some suspension of yes. belief right, right there. Perhaps there was
3: some time difference between the time of celebrating the calf and the, of the Mishkan, but it
2: also took um, an almost about chase in terms of devotion to the
3: calf and then devotion to the Mishkan uh, in a quick sort of way.
1: Right. So then one might question how real is the turn to the Mishkan? If it's like that, it was Moses for God. Then it was a calf, and now it's the Mishkan, right? That these people are— who knows what tomorrow will be? This is this this people is a little changeable, right? But if we read the text in ways that are going to make us a little uncomfortable, what happens at the end of the calf incident? Mass murder.
2: Mass murder. Mass murder. Who's murdered?
1: All all the dancers,
2: all the people who got
1: up to dance, the people who were playing, um, the players. It was like some ridiculous number, right? So, so the only thing to go against they're so changeable is if everyone who participated in the calf incident is now gone. Who's left? Are the people who didn't do that, even when tempted by peer pressure? Um, and those people are then the ones who are prepared to build make and, and focus towards the Mishkan
0: but to tie it back to Shabbat isn't there sort of almost a rabbinic through line
1: yes through and that is
0: where the basically ultimately the Mishkan gets replaced by Shabbat
1: nope uh, here watch calf. you're right there's a through line but here, here's what it is. The through line is calf, Shabbat, Mishkan. Tell me about that through line. It, it's the action that's being worshipped, not the item. Tell me about the through line. So you're building the calf and you're all wrong and then you take to and say, what is my
3: purpose?
1: What right. is, should my intention be? And then ah, so Shabbat becomes before. the linchpin. I mean, right. Is it going to be an Egel or is it going to be a Mishkan? Because go the, the gold melty stuff yeah. can it's go either thing. way. And it seems to be our proclivity is to go to the calf. That, that's just what happens naturally because we're human beings. God says, okay, I get that. So it's clear that you need something that's going to pull you away from that, right? So what is the thing that's going to do that is Shabbat. It redefines the intention. Don't rush to recreate. But you need to recreate on Shabbat. you right you're gonna recreate you're gonna recreate to recreate you don't rush to the next week you have to take a stop between this week of creating and that week of creating because that is where you get your intention and where you stop long enough to pay good attention to who am I where am I going what am I doing what are my priorities how am I behaving what are my relationships like? Where am I putting my time? Where am I putting my resources? Right? Is that is that the alignment I want? Is that the ratio I want in my life of activity to contemplation? Right? Am I spending enough time with friends or am I too busy for friends? Ask people how they are these days. Just say, How are you? How and, and note how many times people say, I'm so busy. Right? so I haven't yet found out the perfect line as a response but I would, but I won't say oh that's so terrible right? because we're in control of some of that right I'm so busy really so what else are you like what, what okay yeah we're busy but we, we lift that up as kind of somehow <clears throat> a badge of honor yeah. right that I'm so busy that I'm somebody yeah. right or something right, right. Um, and and, and that's what Shabbat is all about, saying, no, you're not busy, you're Amy. <laughs> but we forget that, right? And Shabbat is the difference between having the situation with the calf or having the sacred experience of entering the Mishkan, of focusing as a community on what is sacred to us, on what's at the sacred center of us, and what we want to be at the center, what we want to be facing, right? If we as a country, if we as a nation... Did some kind of decent Shabbat practice as a nation, do you think we might start addressing (laughs) gun violence? Might we? If we all just really shut up and said, okay, we're going to take a break from all the busyness and all the doing and all the static and all the noise, and we're going to really focus on what we think is important right now what our values and morals and ethics would call us into if we really lived into them honestly, would we not be having a slightly different conversation than what we see when we turn on whatever national program we're looking at? George, uh uh-oh, you've got that look. (laughs) (laughs) Given
3: the, uh, this is the definition of Judaism, which is, in Shabbat, we reconsider and, and think about the whole thing. That seems to me that defies the generalization that religion is the opiate of the masses and that the opiate of the masses is choosing the calf all the
1: time. I could not have said it better myself. That is a brilliant insight, George. That is a beautiful insight because that is the charge. That religion, all religion, is the opiate of the masses, right? That it frees you from having to think, and it makes you feel okay about everything, and then you can accept everything, and the powers that be get to manipulate you. But you're completely right that Judaism says, that's the calf. That's junk religion. That's junk food religion and there's plenty of that out there let me tell you. Right? If she weren't so angry she wouldn't have gotten cancer. Right? She internalized everything always and of course she wound up dead at, you know, 57. Right? So that's junk food. That is spiritual garbage junk food. That's the calf. That is the opiate of the masses for sure. Get them to focus on that, let them dance, right? And do what they want, and then they're happy, and then you can manipulate them. That's absolutely the case. Shabbat, the demands of our tradition demand something much harder. It ain't no opium to say, I have to wait. stop being so busy. I have to stop doing all this stuff and actually attend to what's going on here? Wait, 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 (laughs) right? And face what comes up, the panic, the loneliness, the pain, the shame whatever's going to come up you're asking me to like be with that and sit with that and hold that and not react by doing something familiar and busy oh that is the opposite of opium you get to the same place hopefully you eventually come to a place we we meditate together every week Mm -hmm. We, we get to a place where we can move past some of the chatter and be in this amazing place of, oh, it really is all okay, whatever it is. So it's the same place, but it's not through the haze of opium. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? It's real food. It's, it makes you feel good, like junk food does for a minute, but, but it's actually nourishing and sustaining and makes you a better you and healthier and stronger and more resilient and more able to respond rather than react. That's, that's, cool. th- that's, that's real cool. religion but
0: isn't it also yeah. that God is saying that we as
1: individuals, every one of us has that within us yes, exactly. absolutely we're
0: empowered with it just by virtue of being
1: human it's how we're designed right. and, we're, and God knows, says our tradition that, that Shabbat is what makes the difference God doesn't say, oh those humans they're so awful <laughs> they go for the opium all the time well so do rats although they just found out, you know, that rat study where give them drugged water or not drugged water and they'll drink the drugged water and, and kill themselves? You, you know this, right? So so even rats will go for the opium every time. Except they just did a new study where they, they always take male rats and put them alone for this study. No, it's okay. So the new... It's okay. The new research took that same rat and gave it Lots of stuff to run on and wheels and company and healthy associations and lots to do. And guess what? He didn't choose the drugged water. It chose the regular water. We choose the opium particularly often when we are alone when we are isolated when we feel isolated when we're lonely when we're scared when we feel there's no one i can turn to right no one to share it with when we're connected in really healthy amazing ways and we're about really amazing things in the world it turns out we reach for that less often and so shabbat is about right encouraging th- those kinds of relationships and those kinds of ways of being so that we don't need to choose the opium but, but my point earlier was yes yeah, so god knows they need shabbat it's fine So I'm going to give them Shabbat so that they can be about building a mishkan because they need to be about something. Mm -hmm. They're human. And within every one of us is the nefesh that can be yinafash, because we are created in the image of the divine. If the divine could do Shabbat and yinafash, Mm -hmm. we can too. And we are a mishkan me'at. Every single one of us is a small mikdash, a small sanctuary, right? Um... And therefore, absolutely, it's not a pejorative, it's they're just human, and within every one of them is the capacity, if they do good spiritual practice, if they do that, they have the capacity to lean into the holy and what's productive and what's about creating holiness in this world rather than garbage.
2: Seeing that way, the prohibitions really are not the point. They're there to make the space to be able to do Shabbat, and part of there are people for whom the prohibitions become the opium and the point isn't what you don't do on Shabbat the point is what
1: you do do I very respectfully agree Mm -hmm. and respectfully Mm -hmm. say that I think for many people the halacha Mm. becomes the Mm egel the halacha, the law becomes the egel Right, that it stops being about you. Mm. Don't do all that stuff so that you may, mm-hmm. and become right, and becomes just the don't. focus itself. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, and you're so focused on t- tearing the toilet paper mm-hmm. before sundown mm-hmm. that it's kind of like, what did we do that for, right? And um, and that is where we come to progressive religion, Making the that says Ugh. when are the don'ts helpful, mm-hmm. and when are they becoming just another cat? meaning. I observe more stringently than you do. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't even tear toilet paper. I use <laughs> Kleenex. <laughs> it becomes it becomes a competition. It becomes just another way that we do this craziness, right? Right, and that's that's always been a criticism, right, of the halachic system. Um, it's been an anti Semitic criticism used by Christians often, right, to say, see those Jews they're just all legalistic. That's all about it's about for them is the law. So that's so we react to it, which is why I said respectfully, because people are gonna react if they listen to this to what I just said as anti-Semitic. It's not. It's been used by Christian anti Semites to use to make their religion supersessionist, right? It's better. Because it's focused on God's love and all of that and faith and rather than all these no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Um, and wh- what I argue from within the tradition, with great love and respect for the tradition and the no's, is that we get lost in the observances and we, we forget what the point is, right? And that's where we get in trouble.
3: kashrut requires community, requires individual engagement, the birth, does this have the same impact as, as the calf? In other words, those of Kashruv, I mean, have they become the calf? Is there a purpose to Kashrut? I, 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 I would go
2: where Amy went and but also add to that respectfully that this has been part of the Jewish tradition, these, these two poles, And there have been, whether it's the Pharisees and Sadducees, whether it's the Hasidic movement in the 18th century, that Judaism has always had these two poles interacting and it's not just anti-Semites who have attacked, just going through the motions,
1: but Jews Jews as well, well. looking Uh, for what is the right way. So the tension is between keva and kavana. The tension is between keva, that which is set, Mm -hmm. and kavana intention, sacred intention. So if you have only keva, you have a calf made up of (laughs) You know, just a bunch of don'ts and do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts and do's. And if you have only kavanah, if you have only intention, then it's like this morning for Shachrit, I'm going to dance the Shema. (laughs) The words aren't important today, right? Then it becomes, again, worshiping, right? My own proclivity for what I feel like in this moment, what my spiritual intention is in this moment. You have to have a balance of discipline and intention, right? The kind of free-flowing spiritual yumminess and the rigor of the Mishkan, the rigor of spiritual practice. And any spiritual practitioner knows this. There has to be the, the um, spontaneity of the moment now and what I feel now and what I'm experiencing now, of course, but your butt has to be on the cushion or on the yoga mat. It has to be on the cushion for that to happen. That's discipline. Cuz there's days you don't feel like it. There's days you don't feel like coming here. But you come anyway, right? Because you know if I go, hopefully if she's awake and everything's fine, then something will happen that that helps inform, right? Uh, our journey is a community, and, and, and you have to do the work. You have to do the work. And is that what Kashru? Is? Okay, so we keep coming to Kashru. Kashru has nothing to do with this other than it's a spiritual discipline. That's all it has to do with It's a spiritual discipline. For them, it was a very complicated um, taxonomy of what was, what was okay and what was not okay vis-a-vis our interaction with it by consumption. And they had a very, very complicated way... Of, of categorizing animals. And some were okay and some were not. There's lots of philosophy about why some things were okay and some things were not okay. In general, we can't know. But, but for ancient Israelites, it was very important to divide the world into categories. Um, and the, there's a theory that if it lives, it needs to either live in the water or live on the land. Otherwise, it's an in-between thing that's... Forget it. We're not eating that. So, crocodiles... Lobster, like a lot of things that can live in the water but can also crawl up and live on land, that crosses a boundary that flipped them out. <laughs> that it was taboo. They were like, can't do that. Right? So, men dressed in women's clothing is another one. That crosses a boundary that, you know, we tend to see it as a, like, ignorant, well, I don't know. But there, there, there are boundaries and creation. Remember how creation happens. Do we remember? Creation happens by separation. separation. I love yes. this. I love this. So, creation happens by separation, division. <laughs> And those separations and divisions being kept in place is what keeps the cosmos from collapsing. So if that's your cosmology, you're not gonna you're not gonna do anything that that crosses the, those separations, right? They have to stay in place. Or the waters above and the waters below. What's gonna happen? Kaboom! And you get the flood, flood. right? We know this. We know our cosmology. We know our ancient Near Eastern cosmology, so Kashrut is a lot about maintaining those distinctions and distinguishing Israel from other peoples. Right. Probably the neighbors had a roasted pig festival <laughs> where they danced, <laughs> um, and so the uh, so the Israelites are forbidden to eat swine at all because we're not given a reason otherwise, right? It, so you can't eat swine yeah, it's okay? not about
3: elevated at all it's, just it's,
1: about, it's probably about they do that you don't no. you are Israelite you can't eat pig at all not just not at that festival at all. ever because if you can't eat it ever you're not going to be able to go to that festival
2: but the Jews are not the only people to have food taboo absolutely I mean, not for example in, in, the, in the United States can, can people eat horse meat can people eat dogs and people he can't. There are other places in the world where people do. I think that part of the point is whether there is intentionality to it, whether what you eat matters or not, whether you think about what you eat. It's not. That, that was the point I was trying to make. That the Mishkan was a one-off.
3: That the community can't do another Mishkan. But if you, if you keep kosher and then feel engaged and feel better think
1: the time out you're
3: so, performing a better. Right,
1: so it's one of the ways we can maintain connection with early Israelite identity, which is why I personally don't eat pork and don't eat shellfish. It's just a way for me to stay connected to a practice that has identified us as Israelites slash Jews for thousands of years. It's not because I think it's wrong to eat it. Right? That that gets into this business. right? You don't need to
3: feel elevated by that.
1: I just feel like for me it's a positive spiritual discipline. Alright. I want to look at this piece because I think it's lovely about which I never heard before. About the menorah. So the menorah we just read has a bunch of um, what kinds of blossoms? Almond. 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 All right. So so the menorah, the priest had to had to walk up a ramp to light the menorah. So it's big. It's big and it's gold. And it's got some big old calis- calyxes on it. How do you say the plural of that? Calixim. It's a big calyxeme big calixim uh, on it. And um, so it's kind of like, okay, what's what's that about? Like I, and I've known this text my whole life, what the menorah looked like, and I'm kind of like, okay, it's lovely, it's a beautiful thing, it's light, it's the you know light in the creation, blah blah blah, it's light in the darkness. Every tradition has that. I mean, I get it, but I've never heard this interpretation before. Um, So, right, this is by Rachel Adler. Uh, So she says, no, 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 let's, let's drop down to not just a lamp, that last paragraph at the bottom of the page. Clearly, the menorah embodies some kind of metaphor, but metaphor has rules, just like tennis or Scrabble. One rule is that there has to be some link between the tenor, the topic under discussion, and the vehicle. The concrete object to which it is being compared. What then is tall as a kaneh, with kanim extending from it, and prachim intermixed with bud-like swellings, kaftorim? The menorah is a representation of a flowering almond tree. Exclamation point. The almond tree is distinctive not only in that it blossoms early. By the way, the almond tree is the first tree to blossom in Israel. Guess what blossoms on Tu the almond tree, tree the, right? The Well, it doesn't blossom, actually. The yeah. sap is done being pulled. The sap starts to run into the tree at Bishvat, Um into the almond trees. The almond trees are now, all the rain has fallen, it's going to fall, and the sap begins to be pulled up through the tree that will lead to um, prahim, to blossoms. So the almond tree is distinctive not only in that it blossoms early, but also in that it then rapidly buds... Leaves develops new branches and forms its sustaining fruit all before the flower's calyx drops off. Who knew? In (laughs) Hebrew, the name Shaked, which is a name for an almond tree, means the early walker, and it may symbolize God's watchfulness or the speed with which God responds. But it is also the legitimating emblem of the Aaronid priesthood. Remember, he takes a staff. There's a challenge to him. He puts a staff. In the ground, everyone else puts their staff, and his <coughs> blossoms into an almond tree. So that's how he is then, um, it's after Korach, right? After the rebellion of Korach. It's how he's, what's the word? Not justified. Um, Ordained? No. It's how he's proven right. Oh, justified. I, justified? Okay, justified. Gravity. Validated. Validated Thank you As the leader All right. So trees as well as light Are associated with consciousness For Jews Right um, But there's also She says Go down to the next paragraph But the Benora Is yet a different sort of tree Because its branches Are crowned with bowls Filled with oil That are lit regularly By the priest Whoever heard of a tree Perpetually on fire Hello, <gasps> Hello? <laughs> Ding 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 Right Oh my gosh I never made that connection I never made that connection. That this is the Sneh. This is the burning bush. So what Rachel Adler's is arguing is the Mishkan is not just the Mishkan, that, that's already a big deal. But the Mishkan becomes, well, What does the Mishkan? Become all the rituals here? Where do they go after the Mishkan? Where do we see them? Temple. in the temple. temple these are the temple rituals the menorah is in the temple this menorah is in the temple right they may have never been in Mishkan right all the stuff we're getting here happened in the temple where's the temple
2: Jerusalem.
1: where in Jerusalem
2: temple mount.
1: the temple mount <laughs> so Rachel Adler's arguing that this is not just the Mishkan that's and the rituals of that that's big enough the instructions for that happened at Sinai where did the Sneh happen where did the burning bush happen Sinai. So what happens with the menorah being the tree perpetually on fire is it turns it turns Sinai into Zion. You've got the temple on a mountain and now you've got a representation every single day of the tree on fire and what you have is now the transposing of Sinai Onto Zion to refocus the encounter at Sinai as now that happens at Har Zion, now that happens in Jerusalem. Brilliant move <laughs> by the Israelite leadership. That's brilliant. Take a sacred tradition from the desert experience, from a desert people's, from whatever, and you transpose it. You take a tree sacred to the pagans and what do you do you put it in your house <laughs> brilliant. now brilliant. it's a Christmas tree <laughs> now it's about Christ the return of the sun, S-U-N becomes the birth of the son S-O-N brilliant and it worked You take the Virgin Mary and you transpose her onto whoever it is in Guadalupe. (laughs) (laughs) On whoever the local female representation of God is. Genius! And that's what all religions do. They transpose, right? Stuff that has, we did it too. You take the fall holiday of crowning the king and guess what? You put that on top of Rosh Hashanah and you get a bunch of Malchut imagery a bunch of king imagery that didn't come out of nowhere right But that, and that's what you do you have to take those familiar symbols and you reconstruct them into a new religion but I had never quite put together the Sinai Zion overlay um, if that, be the, that case, the menorah
2: seems to represent the burning bush was burning because God made it burn
1: God was in it. The menorah
2: it. is burning because people are making it burn.
1: So we are to it's recreate the experience, but now it's us. it's us. Now we have to do that. Yeah. God got it started, right? But then we have to, do the, to do the work. We have to show up every day to light that flipping menorah, like every single day. And you have to clean the wicks. Every single day, right? And light it again. And it, by the way, it's not ne'er tamid, meaning eternal, right? It's ne'er tamid, meaning regular. You have to show up every day with clean wicks to light that flame anew every day. At least on Shabbat. We have to show up every day. All right. So um. Her last paragraph there, we cannot relive the moment when a startled shepherd sees a terrible and wonderful sight, a tree on fire unconsumed. We can only make a memory tree to remind us of that moment. An artifice that we ourselves, Bert Kleinman already suggested, ceremoniously set afire amidst, she says, song and liturgy. The memory tree is a tree of wonder only and not a tree of terror, which it was for them right on Sinai, their their experience of fire on Sinai. We take our chances, stubbornly continuing to set our memory tree on fire, real fire, with all its potential for enlightenment and danger, reproducing the encounter with that fiery presence we seek and yet fear, the revealer of mysteries, the dweller in the bush. So we are now post... So you had... Sinai, It gets overlaid on Zion, but we don't have Zion anymore. We don't have the temple anymore. So if the, land, if the, if the burning bush is, imagery is used and now it becomes the menorah, that's the new imagery, then we have to think, okay, what's the menorah now is what Rachel Adler is saying, right? If, if, our, if we are commanded in, in this holy ritual of the menorah to light that tree on fire anew, showing up doing the work doing the practice taking responsibility lighting the light ourselves then what's the equivalent of that now for us and like so i think the real question for progressive jews is what is it really truly what is it for us right and she's saying song and liturgy i believe it happens in this room every friday morning i believe that's what we're about is keeping that flame going and showing up and doing the work and confronting the texts and confronting the ideas and wrestling with them and um, we do it when we sit in meditation at 11.15 we do it on Shabbat when we come together we do it if we do our own spiritual practice right whatever that is um, but I think that's our challenge is to, is to really live into taking the work seriously what does that look like for us and what is that Right? where's the illumination uh, for us that was so rewarding and um, fulfilling to generations past Richard
0: but then doesn't that make Shabbat the ultimate sanctuary other yes. words, it's not, it's, in other words, it's not only a reconstruction of the Mishkan, because you know, Israel is, a, is an autonomous impact. I mean, it's not a dispersed people anymore, so to speak. They did well, build a new Mishkan. We, we choose
1: want. to be dispersed. We, well, we choose to
0: be dispersed, but I mean, to some extent, we, we have a place in the world now, so to speak. And we have it in our power. Should we choose to do so, we could build another Mishkan yep. if we want
1: to do. Folks but are already we should, working on
0: it. But we, but we sort of choose. <laughs> but we sort of choose not to. But that's because there's a. I don't know where the saying is, but it's like not. Not. Uh, it's not so much that the Jews have kept Shabbat, but Shabbat has kept the Jews. Rabbi
1: Abraham Joshua Heschel. Okay. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So the 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 Mishkan is a physical manifestation of the sanctuary. It's a, it's a place where the cosmos can sit where there is where it's 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 manifest the shabbat is not just a time for us to recreate and reset but it's also a safe place for us from the rest of the world it's it's ours it's a sanctuary that cannot be destroyed cannot be taken away it always sits with us
1: and that's what Heschel says is the monument that the Jews chose to build was not a monument in space. We built a monument, in t- a cathedral in time. That our great cathedral, if you want to tour it, <laughs> is happening from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. You're free to tour anytime um, that cathedral, right? And that is what has kept the Jews, because it didn't matter where we were, right? Once the Mishkan, meaning the temple, um, is destroyed and those practices are destroyed, it is Shabbat that continues um, to be. Exactly. What? But there is an what our sanctuary is. to that cathedral. Hmm? The admission oh. charges is, is the practice. Yes. Yes, because Shabbat's going to happen anyway, which I always try to remind myself. Shabbat happens anyway. It's already part of creation. We don't make Shabbat, right? right? But we can choose to participate in Shabbat, which is why you always hear me say about Kiddush, we participate in the sanctification of Shabbat by. I never say we sanctify Shabbat. It's already sanctified. It's already Kadesh right? Kiddush is about, you know, something that's already kadosh. And that happened as part of the the construction of the universe, according to our mythic tradition, that God makes Shabbat a day set aside. That's what kadosh means, right? Set aside. There's no holy in Hebrew, as we've said many times. There, it means set apart, set aside. And so that's already done. It's about whether or not we're going to take advantage of that, right? We can choose to stomp all over it or go, oh, right, this is that day, right, that is Kaddosh. We can accept the
0: invitation.
1: We can accept the invitation because the party's happening. Right. Are you going to go? You can sit home and complain about how horrible your life is, or you can just go to the party and dance and right in our PJs. I
3: was just saying, you Probably so all know, But the whole point of all those ways is to progressively do sanctifying it by whether it's dead or that's not the end. and go out and do Jewish World Watch
0: or American Jewish World Service and all the different ways we participate in the world.
3: wanted to, you know, I know we all know that, but it's not something that we just said, and it's important to remember that the point of all of it is not to study or figure out how to light the candle, how to light the... No, handle.
1: no, no. It's, it's to... Figure out what is our practice now that's going to remind us of what the menorah reminded the Israelites of. That the light of God is available and that we need to kindle that and we need to tend that and we need to be about that and we need to remember that it's here. That it's, you know, that, you know, Nishmat Adam, Ne'er Adonai, right? You know, the, the human soul is the the wick of God, right? You know, that we are, we are an heir. We are a candle off that flame. Like so the menorah was never supposed to be an end, in itself right it was supposed to remind the israelites of what they were supposed to be which is an am kadosh a holy people set aside for divine purposes of making the world a better place and in refracted through right torah through the values and ethics and morals and teachings of the jewish people however we understand them at any given time so thank you laura for that reminder that Practice is not just about practice. Practice is about changing us individually and then changing us collectively so that we then help change the world. That is the point of our Shabbat practice. That's the point of our study, the point of our liturgy, the point of gathering together. Uh, And so we will now um, do what we always do to close our time. We will hold in our care all those who need it with a Mishaberach. And then we will remember all those on whose shoulders we stand by reciting Kaddish Shabbat Shalom.